This is episode number 92, The Four Keys with Andrew Silito. Welcome to the Sonia Looney Show. This is a podcast about how to live a high-performance life, spanning the categories of mindset, plant-based nutrition, and inspiring stories to help you be better every day. The 90-day reset is really just asking a set of questions to ourselves that's going to help us bring that vision closer to the present much faster and make it more practical. So moving it from a dream or a vision to something actually I can achieve. So one of the first questions we ask is what is the single biggest challenge I'm facing in each of the keys? What's the single biggest challenge I'm facing in my business, my body, my relationships and mindset right now? I can't believe it's already the end of February, but I'm excited because that means that spring is just around the corner. And spring is awesome because for us, where I live, everything goes from black and white to so much color. And I love being able to get back outside more regularly again on my bike. March is going to be a really busy month for me. So what I'm doing right now is prepping for the True Grit 100 mile mountain bike race and also going to San Diego for a conference with my husband and then doing the Moab Trans Rockies three-day stage race. So there's a lot going on, and I'm really excited about all of it. Another thing that I'm working on for this year, and it's a big goal for me, is writing my own book. And it's something I've been talking about for a long time, and I'm excited that I finally started. But I'm trying to talk about it more and more to help build that accountability so that I actually finish it. And speaking of books, I love today's podcast episode with Andrew Silito because it's all about success. It's all about building structure into your day. And, you know, sometimes it's hard to have clarity around what your vision is or to take the big steps needed to create positive changes or go after your goals. There are so many different paths to success, and I'm excited to introduce to you Andrew's four keys. Andrew is a former professional roller hockey player turned speaker, author, and coach. His recent book, The Four Keys, is a powerful tool for implementing a unique system to be successful, not only in your business, but in your relationships, your health, and in your mind. It's really a holistic way of setting goals and achieving success. I love this episode because we discuss several ways to get unstuck, how to prioritize what's important in your day, time management for structuring your day, taking personal responsibility for your actions, and that power of a vision board. And I like the way that we talked about vision boards because in the past I tried making one where you cut stuff out and it just, I'm not a, like a cra arts and crafts person. So I found it really annoying. So I actually really like the way that Andrew breaks down how to make a vision board. Andrew believes in setting lofty goals so that you can take big leaps to improve who you are and what you are doing on the way to getting there. You're going to learn so much in this episode. And if you enjoy it, I would really appreciate it. If you could take a screenshot and share it on social media with your friends or just simply tell your friends about the show. Another goal of mine is to double down and really grow this show this year, and I can't do it without you guys. You are the oxygen of the show. You're the ones who make this possible. So thank you so much for listening, and thanks so much for leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. That also helps people find the show, so if it's bringing you value, I'd really appreciate it if you could help support. Another way you could support the show is on Patreon. Patreon is a crowdfunding type membership website where all you have to do is donate a couple bucks a month and it helps the growth of the show. And you also get advanced benefits. For example, I actually post some of my podcast guests in advance and I ask my Patreon members to submit questions. So if you want to ask specific questions to some of these amazing people, it gives you the opportunity to get a direct line to them. 
Go to patreon.com slash the Sonia Looney show. And it's also on my website, sonialooney.com slash podcasts. And one last thing, I wanted to invite you guys to join my free Facebook group, The Plant Powered Tribe. There's about 1,400 members in there, and it's awesome because you don't have to be a vegan. You don't have to eat plant-based. You just have to be somebody that wants to add in more healthy fruits and vegetables into your diet and develop better habits around food. And I love this group because people post all the time and everybody's helping each other. And it's really about tribe. It's about habits. It's about just adding in more things that you want and helping manifest that as well. And being around other people who support you is so key. So thank you for joining. And thanks to the members who are making this group a huge success. All right, let's get into the four keys with Andrew Silito. Welcome to the show, Andrew. Thank you for having me, Sonia. It's a pleasure to be on the show. Yeah, it was really neat to read your book and to see all the things you've accomplished. So I just wanted to say congratulations on all of your effort and all of your different visions you've had for yourself. Thank you very much. And, and likewise, been uh, researching you too. So you've uh, an impressive athletic career. So yeah, thank you. Thanks. So I wanted to ask you how you went from a professional athlete professional roller hockey player to where you are now because you've made this big transition and there's been a lot of things that you've learned along the way yeah I guess for me you know having grown up in a small town in the southeast of England where you know there wasn't an ice rink for an, for an hour away and I just fell upon playing street hockey and then just caught the wave and just dedicate my life to it. I mean I left school quite early pursued my passion like a lot of people do and found myself playing in California and, and Canada and then playing in the in 11 World Championships for Great Britain. And I just had an amazing time. I was the coach as well for Team GB between 2010-2014. And, and somehow that world collided with some corporate experience that I'd got, you know, playing a sport like roller hockey, particularly in the UK. I'm, you know, you don't make a living playing those sort of sports. You do it because you love it and you just follow that passion or obsession, which I talk about sometimes. And um and someone, I just got approached by a consultancy business in 2007. And it was actually an old school friend of mine who just so happened, he was running a consultancy business in the UK and he was working with some of these big, you know, big FTSE 100 companies. You know, so he was going into Vodafone and, you know, some of the big banks and just big corporations and, and delivering leadership training and consulting. And he had this big team of people. And, and just by chance, he said, would you be interested in coming to speak to us? about your corporate background and the work you've been doing in your sport. And I hadn't really thought about it, if I'm honest, at the time. But I did some research and started to understand. And I was getting, I was always fascinated by psychology anyway and mindset and some of the challenges that I'd faced, you know, as an English player going to Canada and kind of having that fear of failure and imposter syndrome and all that kind of stuff that was going on for me. So I was always fascinated with psychology. And then, yeah, in 2007, I, I kind of got just thrown into that world and uh, and I've, I've not looked back. I just thoroughly enjoyed it. It's been my purpose. And I think there are other connections that, that make it more meaningful. You know, we talk about the why and having a strong why. And I, I think I found my why. I know I found my why. But just, yeah, so for the last 12 years, I've been focusing on coaching, working with leaders, uh, coaching teams. And I, I would say 99% of the work I do is corporate and, and working with small to medium-sized businesses. And actually now it's, it, there's actually very little I do in, in sport, I'm honest. And how did you actually step back and look inside your experience as an athlete and apply them to business? Because it's not as easy as it sounds. 
No, and, and there's a lot of cliches out there. And, and I have to be honest, when they asked me to do it, I had no idea where to start. The brief for me was, can you come in and talk to us about the parallels between and sports and business? And it was interesting because I, when I, I worked for a, a large marketing company and when in a, in a sales role and they recruited me because of my sales background, you know, and I thought, well, that doesn't make any sense to me. You're asking me to come and sell this product. That's got nothing to do with me playing roller hockey. I mean, I, I absolutely love playing roller hockey and I really couldn't see the similarities. But then you kind of start to explore this idea of resilience and determination and ambition and wanting to be a high achiever. And, and there's certainly some parallels in that. I think there are stronger parallels at a leadership level, actually. I, I've noticed that in my own experience in working with leaders that the parallels between the head coach in sports and business and, and building teams and building high performance culture, I think there are stronger parallels to that than there are perhaps being a top performer in sport and then translating that into business. Um, I think there's there are definitely some parallels, but I think it's much harder for an athlete sometimes to make that transition into business you know, maybe because they're just struggling to make that transition anyway or coming out of a sport that they love or just a different world for them. So, so yeah, I agree. I don't think it's as easy as people think. And you mentioned earlier, and it's also in your book, the difference between passion and obsession and how to define what those two are. So could you elaborate on that? I can, yeah. I relate it back to a very personal story, which I talk about in the book, so that, that I can only go by my own experience, but I think people will relate to it. For me, playing role hockey had become an obsession because it was my way. I lost my father died when I was 16 and he, he died young. He was 48 years old, just sudden heart attack, you know, and so it was a real shock. And I, and I remember just, just immersing myself into hockey and as my kind of outlet and being with the team. And for me, that that's where it became kind of like an addiction in a way. It was my way of uh, avoiding the grieving, if you like. And that eventually caught up with me, you know, 25 years later, believe it or not, and kind of put me on this this new journey with the book. But so for me, it, it was I could never understand why other players didn't take the, the game as seriously as I did or just want to play every second, you know, any opportunity. And, and don't get me wrong, I love the sport. It wasn't just, you know, getting out there on my skates and playing and, and doing it. You know, I still now love it as much as ever. But I have a different perspective of, of the game. I don't put as much pressure on myself to succeed. I don't feel that if I'm not playing, I'm missing out. I don't feel that I can sit with my own space and, and find different ways to, to entertain myself. But really, for the 25 years, it, it was just an obsession and a way for me to get away from any other feelings that I might be feeling. And I wonder if there are a lot of athletes out there that have some sort of connection with with that obsession. It, it's kind of, there's something else that's driving them other than just the, it being fulfilling and enjoying it. And I think sometimes, uh, you know, we, we play the sport that we, we love, but at the same time, equally, we don't like it and we don't enjoy it and we forget why we play the game or do the sport. Yeah. And I think that also happens in business. Like you'll just be working so hard at something and then you forget why you're doing it and you just keep your head down and it takes a lot of time. And it's also really scary to look yourself in the mirror and be honest with yourself to say, why am I actually doing this? Absolutely. So now I'm sort of between my experience and myself, having started a business in 2012 and bringing that same drive and that tenacity to you know, winning new clients and throwing myself deep into it. And and even with the work I did with the British team, you know, with the roller hockey team, I, I found myself putting more effort into the locker room with the players, more effort into my clients than I was in my own family, you know. And, and, and again, it's that kind of obsession, that distraction from these things. And, uh, and, you know, 
just taking that time to step back and hold the mirror up and, and say, you know, why am I doing this? You know, if I, if things in my life aren't working out as well as they should be, whether it's in my business or when I'm competing, you know, what is it I'm doing or not doing that's, that's causing this kind of ripple around me? So we start to take some ownership back and really hold the mirror up to ourselves. But do you think that they also can be linked? Because if you're really passionate about something, you just want to do it all the time. And then what happens is you start working too much at that one thing and then everything else gets neglected. So what's a really good way to kind of recognize when you're doing that and to take the steps to have more of a, I don't want to keep using the word balance, but you have yeah. a more dispersing your energy in a better way. So for me, that that's where the four keys came about. So the four keys that I talk about in the book is a business body relationships and mindset. And for years I talk about business and, you know, bringing those parallels from sports and business and, and talking about how to create a high performance culture. I would talk about mindset a lot and I would talk about being healthy, but I never really talked about relationships and relationships can mean different things. It can mean the relationship with your partner, your children and having that. I'll talk about balance in a minute and my perception of balance, but, or it can be just our inner circle of friends and that we've kind of neglected them and that social element, which I think it affects our work. So for me, it's less about balance because we're always going to have to go out and, and do the work or put more hours in here and there, particularly entrepreneurs and, and business leaders. There's always going to be that element of going the extra mile. But one of the things I talk about is rather than thinking about work-life balance, just do the work, you know, if you're and be proactive. So a lot of my clients are business owners with families. They're married. They've got children. And I say to them, like, if you're going to have to dig deep and do the work, you know, just make sure that you're thinking about the bigger picture. So, you know, book the holiday or book the weekend away or, or book that timing with your children or, or book that camping trip with your with your friends. You know, don't just talk about it or think about it. Just get it done and think about balance from that perspective that you might have to work some 12, 14 hour days for a period of time. But, you know, get the date night in the diary, book the babysitter, don't ask, you know, just get these things done. And, and, and it's so easy to have our heads down and all of a sudden, you know, not just weeks, months, but years pass. And we look back and we go, wow, you know, just two years has just passed. And, you know, you, you can go through that two years without seeing your friends. And it's amazing how quickly time passes. So for me, it's just about doing the work. And I think from a mindset perspective, one of the things we talk about a lot is slowing down to speed up. So whether that's slowing down yourself and, and whether that's through mindfulness, getting some headspace or, or box breathing or, or just practicing some yoga, some postures in the morning, you know, five minutes can make an incredible difference to the day and just get some of that clarity back and, and having a list of things, not just for work daily, but just thinking, what about my body? What about my relationships? What about my mindset? What are some things I need to be thinking about that I could focus on today? that will keep moving me forward without just going all in on the career and the business. And some of the feedback, that, well, it's, it's consistent. Uh, when I started the Mastermind 18 months ago, the Four Keys group, we had, it was just a pilot group of business owners. And I would say to them, guys, do you want me to run a workshop on winning new clients? Do you want me to run a workshop on social media? Do you, you know, and they would say, you know what, since we've been going all in on our body and our relationships, and our mindset, our business is just taking care of itself. We're just better, more productive, happier human beings at work. And we're just thriving at work. We just realize we're just going to keep an eye on these other three things rather than going all in on the business and then kind of letting the other things catch up at some point. They never do catch up. That's the problem. Well, they do catch up. They catch up in a negative way. 
Yeah. And I, I think that in our society, we look at business and money and say, if you're successful there, then you're successful, period. And success can be defined in many different ways. And if you have a healthy body, if you have good relationships, if you have great mindfulness in a daily basis, those things can add to your overall feeling of fulfillment because there's a lot of people who are really successful in their business and making tons of money, but they actually still feel empty. Absolutely. I mean, the majority of my clients were like that. I was like that. And, and even success in our body, you know, is it because I worked out five times this week and I was in the CrossFit gym smashing it, you know, and, and destroying myself that that's my measure of success. And I've, I've got some, you know, my body composition is great and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I was, I remember when my little, my daughter, my second daughter was born and I remember it just things like, I remember just bending down to change a nappy and because I'd done a legs day, it was just so painful. And I thought, why do I want, <laughs> why do I want to be like this? You know, is this what it's about? You know, and then thinking that I'm getting weaker because I haven't trained for a few days. And what I've found and some other like-minded people is that just, we don't have to train as hard. And actually we don't have to leave it all in the gym and, and we can save some for our families and save some for work. And so there's other elements to this, I think, that passionate, obsessive people, though it's not just work, it's they, they bring that to the other things in their life and, and actually it works, starts to work against us. So, so yeah, I, uh, one, I absolutely agree. We could go all in our business, make a lot of money, you know, get a lease on a Range Rover, upgrade the house, and it can all seem very empty without you know, a close inner circle, but also just manage it, just being mindful of even the way we exercise and train. I mean, I was 100%, you know, if I didn't leave it all in the gym and if people trained with me and didn't leave it all in the gym, I think they would, they wouldn't come back and train with me again, because what's the point in training if you just don't, you know, give it everything. But now I realize actually I need to leave some in the tank. I need to, whether it's because I'm in my forties now, but I wish I'd known this stuff in my twenties. You know, because I would have I would have performed better at work and in hockey and and just been happier and not feeling fatigued all the time. So what if people are listening to this? They're like, that's great, Andrew. I know that I need to have more balance across your four keys, but I am not an entrepreneur. I have a boss. There's expectations of me. I have to work 10 hours a day. I have kids. I don't have time to exercise or I don't have time to eat healthy. Like I just don't have time. So what's a great way to help people with time management for people that say they don't have time because something my dad taught me at a young age was whenever I said, I don't have time. He's like, you have time. You just choose not to make time. So how can people do that whenever they have all of these other external expectations that maybe they don't have as much control over? Yes. Yeah, so I, I 100% agree with your dad. I think he's a very wise man. You know, we, often on the, on the workshops that we run, one of the, when we ask them what your objectives, they'll say time management because they just don't have enough time in the day to all the things across the four keys, like you say. But actually, it's time management. I mean, you can't manage time. It's going to continue to just keep going. But So it's more around self-management and the choices we make. And it goes back to my point earlier, that if if the boss is driving you really hard or if, if, if you're not finding time to get all the tasks done, and I'm sure people will scream at me right now, but it still comes back to that holding the mirror up and saying, well, what is it I'm doing or not doing that's causing my life to be like this? And if this if I'm not happy right now in this role, then what do I need to, what sort of different choices do I need to be making anyway? Once that's clear, that's absolutely clear. They're holding the mirror up and they're saying, there are fundamentally some things that I need to change in myself. Then we can start looking at the tactics, which is, you know, simplifying the training, simplifying the nutrition, 
you know, one of the, some people go back, you know, they said, I would never have thought of fasting in the morning. You know, that seems crazy, intermittent fasting. I would get so hungry, but that's added time, you know, because they can work out fasted, they can do things, get out, they don't have to worry about breakfast. So there's other things, all these different things that kind of add up that can just simplify our, our life. So I think one of the things I talk about, we have four key, we call them the, the, the foundations. So don't want to confuse things. We've got the four keys, which is the book, business, body, relations, mindset, but we have these essentially core values and it's no excuse to do the work, speak the truth and always be ready. So choices, the always ready key is, sorry, value is about just the choices we make today that define our tomorrow. Do the work is just get up, just do it. Don't overthink it. Don't let the internal voice self-chat and get in your way. You know, don't make those excuses. It's easy to make excuses. Blame the boss. Blame the food in the canteen. Blame, you know, the, what I'm earning. All of this kind of stuff. But actually, when we just stop and think and hold the mirror up, say, you know, are there some things that I need to take some control of? Then that's when our lives start to make that shift and improve. Yeah, and you know, something that I think is really interesting is that for some people, it is really easy to look in the mirror and be humble and say, this is where I'm going wrong. And this is my responsibility. But some people just really struggle to actually accept that the problem is them. And mm -hmm. I don't know how to help those people actually realize that because I've seen this in different businesses and, and with di different business partnerships where you'll have the, the humble people who say, yeah, this is my fault or yeah, I'm going to I'm going to be the one who's going to go learn how to do this. And then you have that person who just never wants to take responsibility. So what's the best way to help that person actually take responsibility for themselves and be more humble? It's a really good question. And there are a couple of things that are going through my mind. One, one is not everyone makes it, you know, and, and makes that transition to show that vulnerability because the ego gets in the way and they can live a life of that ego, unfortunately. And so for me, if anyone comes into my world of, with, as a, you know, wants to be coached, I'm very clear right from the start, you know, that you're not coming in here to whine about other people. You're not coming to this room to rant or, or complain. You know, anytime you complain, anytime you rant about someone else, I'm going to ask you the question, what is it you're doing or not doing that's causing that to happen? Because I want you to take full responsibility for that. Now, all right, there are some things out of our control. If it's out of our control, then we still have to say, Right. What can I do about it? You know, control the controllables. I mean, if it's out of the control and it's out of my circle of influence, then I have to I just have to let it go. And that's a hard transition for people to make. Unfortunately, there are people that I've, I've coached over the last 10 years that um, aren't ready to have that type of conversation. And as a coach, I can't change anybody. I can help them if the readiness is there, but I, I can't force someone to put that mirror in front. I can't force them to be vulnerable. I can't force them to let go of their ego. It, for the most part, it's, it's a timing thing. Some people have to go through it to want to experience some change. Some people never get there, unfortunately. And there's something that I found really useful in your book, because for me personally, I think that the thing that I let go the most of the four keys is personal, like in-person relationships with people. And it's something mm -hmm. that I have to work at. So you said something in your book, how your goal is to help other people. You want to create things to help people. And then you said, including people in your own relationships, people that you have personal relationships with. So whenever you wake up in the morning, you actually think, okay, my goal is to help people, but how can I help the people in my immediate circle? And that just saying that I think out loud is really helpful for people to hear. So can you elaborate on how you got to that? 
Uh, well, I think it goes probably back to my point that you've got to go through something to to to, re- to make that realisation. And unfortunately for me, it got to the point where my wife came home one day and said, look, I didn't sign up for this. You know, you, you've spent the last four years coaching the, the British hockey team. You've been growing this business. I've got a, my daughter is you know, my, my wife's stepdaughter. And, you know, she, that was a responsibility that she'd taken on before our children. But, you know, so there's all these things. And, and it got to that point where I realized that, yeah, I was putting more effort into my business and the, and the locker room than I was, you know, the, the people closest to me. So, yeah, so I don't take that for granted, you know, and that's something that I've had to learn the hard way. Um, but I hope that I, by working with particularly people that are perhaps starting out in their career and they're ambitious or that they're starting a business, that we can map these things out and, and be a bit more, we can be more proactive in our relationships to avoid some of these things happen. So, yeah, so it, it took me to, you know, that, that sort of going through that pain to, to have that realisation. I hope I can prevent others from, from that happening. And, and you have a 90-day reset program, and I noticed that visualization mm-hmm. and journaling are a really big part of how you encourage people to define their priorities and stop getting in their mm-hmm. own way. So where did you find that those two keys were important for you, and how do you decide what types of questions people should ask themselves? Because I find that journaling, everyone knows, yeah, journaling's good, I want to journal, but then they sit down and they're like, well, what am I supposed mm-hmm. to write about? <laughs> Yeah, and uh, I think some people can get really into the detail and, and write, uh, and some people, you know, I'm, a, I'm a bit more of a bullet point type person, so I like to just capture some of the things I need to be working on rather than going into detail. But I do encourage people, whether they are what I would, it's a bit pseudoscience, but a bit more towards the left brain who like to make lists and a bit more rational versus those that are a bit more towards the right and more visual and more emotive, is to at least start with a vision board to draw out something I'm not a big fan of cutting out stuff and pictures of Ferraris and all that kind of stuff. I'm not, no, but just draw across the four keys. How do you imagine your world to look like in 12 months time or three years or five years, whatever works for you. But we have a particular way of doing it with these kind of four sections. So, you know, you think about what do I see in my family? You know, what's going on? What's happening in my business? How do I need to scale it? Or what type of role do I want in three years time if I'm starting my career? What about mindset? You know, Will I be relaxed, calm, focused? And for body, what does, what does it look like? How will I feel? Is, is an important part of this. So once the vision is done, we can be we can be a bit dreamy, you know, a little deluded around the vision. And I'm a huge fan of being deluded because I've seen people achieve these deluded visions in the past. But it does feel like a bit of a dream. So the 90-day reset is really just asking a set of questions to ourselves that's going to help us bring that vision closer to the present much faster and make it more practical. So moving it from a dream or a vision to something actually I can achieve. So one of the first questions we ask is what is the single biggest challenge I'm facing in each of the keys? What's the single biggest challenge I'm facing in my business, my body, my relationships and mindset right now? So that brings some a level of urgency to the reset. Start thinking, okay, what, what's the challenge right now? And really thinking deeply about it. In fact, Sorry, before I get into that, I even encourage people to write postcards for themselves from that vision as well. So they start to think about the actual actions it took to get to that vision. So we're starting to get more practical. I also get to think about the why, what's the purpose, what's the drive behind it, why do you want this vision, what's going to get you out of bed to do this stuff. And then we move into the nice day reset, which is asking that question, what's the single biggest challenge I'm facing? And then saying, right, well, if, that, if that's the challenge, what do you want the outcome to be? You Fast forward 90 days, 60 days, 30 days. What do you want the outcome to be? 
And typically, if we're working in groups or if I'm working with the individual or if, if someone can, if they, even if they're doing it by themselves, it's just have some time to think creatively, to say, rather than thinking of it in a linear way or binary, just to stop at this kind of creative space and say, what are all the options that are available to me? Have I really thought about this? If this is my problem and this is where I want to be, what are some of the things I need to think about? Maybe I could get a coach at this point and bounce some ideas off, off a coach or speak to someone that I respect and would be useful resource for me. And once they've got all these ideas, it's just looking at those ideas and saying, well, which of these would be the best one? You know, what could I, what could I execute? What could I make smart now? You know, what could I do that's specific and measurable and within a certain time frame? And people get hung up on that. They say, they can start to procrastinate around this. And I can say to them, look, it doesn't matter, right? Because whatever you do is going to move you forward. You can always switch and change and pivot and do what you need to do. But we're talking about 90 days. We're just making some sort of commitment for 90 days that's aligned to your to your vision and to embrace some of the unknown. And, and I, we take them through a bit more of a process, which I share later in the book, around breaking unwanted patterns. But more often than not, there's this kind of fear that, yes, I want to achieve X, but, and there's this kind of internal voice that, that sabotages the, the nice day game plan. So we want to take that foot off the brake and let them move forward. So, so whilst uh, intellectually they get the vision, they get the nice day reset, there are still some unconscious barriers that potentially slow them down. We want to identify those so we can get them to move forward quickly. That's the game changer. So how do you help people overcome their self-limiting beliefs? Because you mentioned you like people to be deluded and to dream big. And yeah. For some people, it's really hard. Like they'll say, oh, you know, I want to do whatever this goal is X. But then they kind of laugh at themselves and they're like, well, I can't do that. Or they are yeah. afraid to put the goal out there because it is so high that, well, what yeah. if I fail? What if I can't do that? What if people laugh at me? So how do you help them through mm -hmm. that situation? Well, so for the most part, a lot of these things are around social status, you know, how I'm showing up in my tribe. This is hardwired in, you know, in our DNA that if I, if I do put myself out there and I fail, then I'm going to show up in a certain way within my, my tribe and I don't want that. And that can be a reason for people to stop doing it. But, you know, that, that's part of coaching and that's part of the support network that, that people have is to, to try and make sense of that. You know, that, and remember that the, the vision is, is not about doing something that is achievable. It should be transformational. It should be something that really stretches you. It should scare you a little bit. And then the 90-day reset is about, actually, how do I make this pragmatic? Actually, there are some things. When I start to break this down into smaller chunks, this is starting to look quite real to me. And the vision can also just be something that's always ongoing. You know, it doesn't have to be a, an end goal. It could be something that we're always working towards. But that 90-day program, you know, reset just accelerates it and pushes us forward. And so I so what I explain to people that you don't have to do, when, when we first started doing these 90-day resets, we were like, this is amazing. You know, we're going to do four of these a year and we're just going to absolutely smash it. And, and then we realized very quickly that all that was going to do is lead to burnout. And what we found is that you could do one, if you just did one 90-day reset where there was some aggressive action for 90 days, there was this kind of compound effect that people recognized and, and started to help them get over the, the fear of failure, which was actually, if I just go all in for 90 days, I kind of benefit from that aggressive action for the following nine months. So once we start kind of working through that and, and people realizing that they can just have a go and test these things, we call them tests as well. You know, if they've got a fear of failure, if they're, if they're making an assumption, 
we will uh, say, so we're just going to test that assumption. We're not going to say that you've got to be different now for the rest of your life because that will fire up the amygdala even more, put them into a bit more fight, flight, and they're probably going to resist the change even further. So we'll just say, look, we're going to try something out for two weeks. We're just going to put a little test in place. And, and what they often, more often than not, find that those assumptions aren't true. And, and it, it's like building a muscle. I guess in a sense, it's, it's the brain is, is developing new neuropathways. And, you know, through that neuroplasticity, it's starting to develop some, a different way of thinking or, or a new habit that that person's starting to become more comfortable with. So it's just stretching them. You know, we're always trying to just give them, hold them a bit of stretch. Elastic band, for example, is if you, if you stretch an elastic band for 90 days and let it go back to its comfort after 90 days, it's typically stretched, it's bigger. And that's kind of how we introduce the um, program. You know, if you just hold yourself at stretch for 90 days, even if you go back to your comfort zone, you're going to be a, a better, probably more organized, more focused, maybe leaner, healthier, and your relationship will be stronger, your business has grown or your careers have moved forward. You know, so you can, you can always take your foot off the gas a little bit and then and do it again, you know, have a little bit of rest in a way. Not complacency, but just take some time out, you know, just be consistent maintain what you're doing and then go again maybe do it twice a year or wait until the following year to go again i, I do i do a, an aggressive 90-day game plan once a year now and i find that's plenty and I, I think that there's two more follow-up questions to the vision board so i think that there's two potential challenges one challenge is that people might say i want to make a change in my life but i don't really know what that change is and i don't even mm-hmm. know like what to call it and that's something that I hear pretty frequently. The other mm-hmm. is that some people sit down and say, I want to make my vision board, but then they have too many things on the vision board. So mm-hmm. what's the best way to get to that middle point for both of those examples? So I, I heard two questions in that I want to change something, but I don't know what that change is. So the, the change is always linked to the improvement. What do I want to improve versus what I want to change? So the change comes from what I want to be better at. What do I want to improve in my life? What do I, and this is from a behavioral perspective. It's not learning a new skill. It's what could I improve? What could I be better at? And then there are some behavioral changes required. Now, that is a bit of a process. There's some psychology in that and in how that person then identifies the, the, the thing that's obstructing them, how they're getting in their own way. But, so that's, that's one thing. The vision board and having too much on there uh, it's, it's not a bad thing to start off with. The 90-day reset is about focus. So if we looked at the vision board and asked ourselves the question, well, what's the single biggest challenge I'm facing right now that's going to stop me from achieving the vision? And then we get pragmatic. We come up, we do some creative thinking, get clear on some outcomes and then make it smart. That brings some focus. So, so what often happens on the vision board is they want to do everything. You know, want to achieve everything. But if we work backwards from the, what's my biggest challenge right now? And what, what do I want the outcome to be? We can move forward pretty quick in 30 days or six days, 90 days, and then review it again and say, where are we? Because, you know, we can't do everything uh, as much as we'd like to. And what moves us forward is, do, is actually less is more. Uh, so it's just about focus and then being really disciplined about that and not getting distracted. It's going all in. Cool. And I really liked how you had a way to structure your day. And I found it interesting how you defined like non-urgent tasks, important tasks. So can you describe how you talked about structuring your day in your book? Yeah. So the, the, the structure of the day is, is really around structuring periods like you would. Like I, I talk about my time at Yellow Pages and how to be really productive 
otherwise she just got left behind. And then so kind of looking at, at school, how things are sort of structured throughout the day, these kind of periods that keeps you focused for short amounts of time. And then I you know, learn about the Pomodoro effect and all these different ways of, of um, getting more productive and all great in theory, but not necessarily, you know, not necessarily easy to implement. So I kind of just explored it more. And one of the things I'm a big fan of, you know, the, the, the urgent, non-urgent tasks, that's the, the, the work by Stephen Covey and the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He talks about this kind of matrix of four areas. And I, I just shared just two. So just thinking about everything's important right now in, within my vision and my 90-day reset, uh, but which ones are urgent and which ones are non-urgent. And what we know is that the most productive people focus on the non-urgent tasks because they, uh, there's always going to be urgent stuff to deal with. But the non-urgent stuff are the things that we kind of lay in bed at night thinking, I should do that. I should get around to doing that sometime. And then months pass, years pass, and never get around to it. So it's just saying, right, there's some non-urgent things that I've identified here that are hugely important to me. It could be you know, blogging. It could be getting the website changed. It could be my training. You know, Typically, training is not urgent. It's probably a good way of looking at it. So you know, looking after my body is a non-urgent thing. I could get through life without going to the gym. I could get through life without having date nights or you know, an afternoon with my children or whatever it is. But then what becomes urgent if I don't do that? You know, I, perhaps I don't achieve my goal at work. I don't, my health deteriorates. I mean, now I'm spending money on medical bills. I'm going through a divorce. You know, I'm not having a good relationship with my children. You know, all of a sudden these other things become urgent. So what we're trying to say is what, what are the non-urgent things that are going to help me get to my vision faster that I need to bring some urgency around? And then the, the, turning the day into periods, just saying, what can I get done before eight o'clock in the morning? before 10 and before 12. And those three periods in the morning are when we are most productive. Now, some people might argue that because of the night house and et cetera. Well, some people are better at eating. But the re- most of the research points towards that we're more productive between before midday. So the more we get done before midday, uh, the better. So we, one of the things I, I encourage you to do is, is what could you do across your four keys before midday? What could you do across your four keys before eight o'clock? You know, you could work out, you could do something nice for the family, you could do a blog for your business, you could do some mindfulness. And you go out to work feeling, you know, amazing. So that, that's, I go into more detail, I kind of waffled through that. But that, that's essentially, you know, just getting really clear on, on the non-urgent things. It's the non-urgent things that move us forward, not the urgent things. Yeah, and I thought that was really interesting because the things that I keep hearing and popping up is, you know, you have your jar and you have your, your big rocks and you have your little rocks and yeah. you need to do the big rocks first. But then I've actually struggled because... I can, I do the big rocks first, but then it's just like all these little things that just pile up and then it causes stress. And then that stress makes it really hard to actually have clarity and creativity because, well, it was actually in this book, um, the success principles by Jack Canfield. It was something actually about Mm -hmm. clutter and that also includes mental clutter. So like if you Mm -hmm. visually are looking at clutter, which I admit that I am right now, (laughs) that actually affects your creative process. So while cleaning up the clutter might seem like a non-urgent task, it actually affects how well you do the urgent tasks. So I really like that you outlined it that way. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I talk about there are three different types of productive people. There are people that are very natural and unable to tackle those big rocks and keep their desk clean and can't understand why other people don't think that way. Then there are other people that consciously do it. And then they're the last minute heroes. And we know from regardless of what last minute heroes think, they're not going to be as productive or, or at least the work is not as good quality. And I had to make that transition, especially, you know, my early twenties from a last minute hero to a conscious doer. 
particularly around my training and the way I prepared for things and, and work. So it's a, and, and for the conscious doers, it's a, it's a daily thing. You know, you have to constantly remind yourselves that, you know, if, if I've got clutter, how am I, I, I need to declutter this because I'll be more effective rather than just kind of trying to thrive with it. it you know, it catches up with us eventually. And how do you help your clients whenever they set these big visions and these big goals and then they actually don't get to that end point? Because I know it's not always about the end point, but some people are really focused <clears> on that end point and they feel like it was a failure unless they get to that end point. That's a really good question. I think it's different per individual because some people that perhaps are more optimistic will get to the end and say, well, actually, I've achieved much more. Even though I didn't hit what I thought I would hit, I've still achieved much more than I ever imagined. So they, they've aimed for the stars and hit the moon type thing. So that's kind of what we're looking for with the vision board. If they failed, but there's a conversation which is, you know what, I, I really didn't bring my A game to this. I, I didn't do the things I thought I would do and I, and I feel like I've let myself down. That's a different type of conversation. And then there are other reasons, you know, out, things are outside, you know, the, like for, if it's an entrepreneur, for example, um, then and the economy has, you know, s- struggled and... And suffered you know there's a downturn of some sort there's some things that are just out of our control or you know for whatever reason so i i think it's keeping it in perspective for the most part that's part of the coaching really to help people coach you know coach them through that that transition that process and everything in your book requires moderating change and change is easy for some people and not for others so what resources do you bring to people where they are resistant to change like how do you help them actually take those steps so I'm a, I'm a big fan of the work by, in the book, Immunity Change. The name is Bob Keegan, and he is a, a professor at Harvard who talks about immunity to change, that we have that, for the most part, we resist change because it's it's part of our, it's actually part of our immunity, that we're in part of, it's, it's the brain saying, no, it's much safer this way, rather than do something that's going to put you into some sort of fight flight. So what we often see is that people will, still want to achieve the goal, but they're not prepared to make the changes. And they've got this kind of one foot on the accelerator, one foot on the brake. So our job really as coaches is just to help them identify what that brake is. And it goes back to my point about testing. Just there's pro- There are probably some assumptions or there's probably something around how I'm going to show up if I do these things differently. Or I just like certainty in my life and I've got into this rhythm and I, I really don't really want to, to change what I'm doing at the moment, even though they know that they need to change to achieve the object, their overall objective. So there has to be an emotional connection to the vision. So that's the most important thing. If there isn't really an emotional connection to their vision, then they're not, they're less likely to change anything, I'm honest. So we see that in organizations, you know, organizations that set a vision and they expect everybody to change, whether it's systems, the way they behave, you know, get more aligned to the culture. But if people aren't emot- emotionally engaged with the vision, then, then they're probably going to check out. So there's got to be some emotional connection either to the, the bigger vision, whether it's organizational vision or, or personal vision. And then once we get clear on that, then there's an appetite for change. But as you said, some people are more resistant to change than others. So it's just helping them unpick it a little bit more slowly, whereas some people will just jump straight in and you know go for it. Some people, it can cause more anxiety. We have to be really mindful of that, that some people, you know, that really do fear change. It can generate some anxiety in them. And as a result, they resist the change even more. So we have to, it's not, I wouldn't say tiptoe, but we have to just take our time, help them understand it, break it down into smaller chunks, help them recognize that they might be making some assumptions that aren't even true about the outcome if they, if they were to change, and then, and then sort of ease them into it. 
And for you, I noticed that measurement and kind of keeping a scorecard along the way is really important. When did you decide that actually sitting down and writing down what your successes or what things didn't go well were important to achievement? I think it's different for certain people, you know, scorecards and, and, and kind of having a result-driven mindset. If, despite my sports career, I, I wasn't really a result-driven person. I wouldn't regard myself as that. But I also recognize that it, it's important to have some kind of goal in mind and to, and to also know that whether we are tracking in the right way, that if we're winning or losing. And so one of the things I talk about, particularly in, in organizations, is if you've got an employee mindset or a, an entrepreneurial mindset. And, and the difference really is that, you know, my experience uh, is some will go into work and sort of check in and check out through the hours and others will say, you know, did I win or lose today? And that was something that I, I started to embrace in my career is, you know, how do I know if I'm succeeding? So when I, when I was at Yellow Pages and I was kind of thrown into that result-driven sales environment, it's easy in sports. You kind of, you win or lose. You, you, know, you get a feel of whether you play well or not. And if you don't know, the coach will tell you. So, so and, and the managers in business say kind of not, not so much. I think it's important for people to know whether they're, they are winning or not or feel like they're progressing. So that, that's really the reason behind it. And I'm not, I don't, I just ask people to consider it. I don't say you have to have a score, but I think it's worth asking yourself each day, did I progress? Did I achieve what I set out to achieve? Yeah, and you touched on people who are results focused, and I like that you outlined there's four types of leaders out there. And so can you mm -hmm. talk about those four types? That way people can say, yeah, like that kind of sounds like me. Yeah, I mean, it's on a, on a simple level, uh, I refer to the results-focused people, some that are more towards process and certainty. So results and process and task tend to be a bit, again, I'm going back to the pseudoscience, which is a bit more left brain, whereas those that are perhaps more focused on behavior and culture and their personal branding, how they show up uh, a little bit more towards the right. So there, are, I talk about image, behavior, behavioral results and process and just helping people kind of identify where they might sit. You know, are you someone that really cares about how you show up? Do you make decisions because you're concerned what people might think about your brand and how you engage with people and so on? Then you're probably more towards image. If you're concerned about consensus and wanting people to, to be happy and you want, you're always constantly looking for harmony within your group. And, but at the same time, you might avoid some conflict and it's probably going to be more around behavioral I sometimes call it behavior you know, I'm actually even a mental player I don't remember if I call it culture or, or behavioral in the book because I sometimes refer to one or the other and then those that are a bit more that are more results driven they tend to have their elbows up a bit more and they want to win they want to compete they want to get to the front line and victory is important to them but there might be some casualties around them off the back of that uh, and they might not be as uh, perhaps as emotionally intelligent so whilst they're winning and, and getting forward and moving forward in the career or winning you know, there might be a bit of, there might be a trail of destruction behind them in some cases. And those that are more process focused, it's about certainty and just making sure that I'm, I'm working in an orderly way. And often what we see going back to change, those that are more process focused and want certainty in their life and like things in a consistent way and don't like, don't, perhaps don't embrace change are less likely to engage with that, that, that level of change we were talking about earlier. Yeah. And I, I think this is really interesting because you can take this outside of the workplace and apply it to your relationships because 
a lot of times if you're being a leader, you're a manager, you're a parent, you need to help motivate and also reward positive behavior. So understanding what type of person you're dealing with, what it is that that motivates them and what they like can help with a recognition structure. I think it's really interesting, like my husband's a financial advisor and in his job, there's a recognition structure and it's it's really based on results, but not everybody right. is, is actually motivated to get the, the shiny thing because they achieved a certain <laughs> number of, you know, some people, yeah. and, and I, I've seen that in his business, but I, I've also seen it in the classroom, like how teachers motivate their kids and, and how some of these different kids act too. So I thought that was really cool that you outlined it that way. Yeah, it's just, it's a, it's a reference point. You know, and, and, and like you say, it does help us in our relationships. Or if I'm more result driven, I've got someone in my team is perhaps more towards who's less result driven, but more towards working towards harmony in the group and avoiding conflict. Then I probably have to change my style a little bit as their coach or their leader. Or if I've got someone who is more process driven and I'm less process driven and a bit big picture and high level and I'm, I'm communicating on like that, then I'm probably going to cause more stress and anxiety in the person that needs process. So it's just making some adjustments. And it's a good reference point. There are psychometric tools that will, you know, take that much further. And I wanted to ask a question specific to you, because what happens, I think, in achievers is you say, well, I'm going to accomplish this goal or I'm going to get to this point in my career. And then you do. And then you work so hard to get to that point. And then you have to figure out what your new vision is. So for you, how has your vision in your career changed over time? And how do you decide what's next for you? I often think about it because, again, it comes back to how we're hardwired. I know that people that are result-driven, they tend to achieve the result and they stop and go, right, next result, next result, next result. Versus myself, I'm probably a little bit more organic. I like to I, I like to think that I create my own luck through working hard and being a good, decent human being to people. And, and then things sort of come into my, you know, that's kind of how the, I think the universe works. So, you know, we kind of send these messages out and we do good stuff and we go out of our way for people and and that gets uh, reciprocated some sort of way, not not directly. What I found is perhaps when I started my business in 2012, I had a sort of clear vision of what I thought that business was going to look like and how I'd scale it and, and grow it. But it, it, it's changed. There's been so many different iterations of it. So I, I think it's it's just being open to that more organic letting it flow, not forcing something because that's what we said we wanted. If we achieve what we said we wanted and, and it's a good result, then great. But often, you know, you look at some of these big organizations, they just, they have to recreate themselves all the time. So for me, it's just about being open to change. It's about seeing what, what what's going on, you know, even at a technological level, what, what changes are made, being made that we could, so that we can adjust our our business proposition, and I've worked with some brilliant startups, and they've got a brilliant product. It's just an incredible product, but nobody wants it because things have just moved on and the timing wasn't right. But they're still, they, because they've got this great product, they want to keep trying to sell it and convince the customer that they do need it. And they, what they haven't done is they haven't step, taken a step back and said, actually, the landscape's changing, and we probably need to change with it. So I, I'm a big fan of just being open. Yes, have a goal but just think laterally as well and, and, and just have that kind of organic perspective, let things play out in a certain way. Awesome. And where's the best place for people to get in touch with you? Because I know that you've written more than one book. Yes, I think Instagram is always a good place. So at Andrew Silito, S-I-L-L-I-C-O-E, Instagram is a good place. LinkedIn is probably where I spend most of my time because I've got a, that's where most of my clients are uh, on LinkedIn. 
I would say they're probably two, the two. We've got a Facebook group, so if people went to Get Fit to Win, Get Fit to Win is the brand. The, the book is called The Four Keys, but my brand is called Get Fit to Win. We have a Facebook group, which people, you know, your listeners, that sound like the perfect fit for for that. Uh, they might be interested in um, in joining that group. So they're, they're probably the three the three key areas I, I would start at. Awesome. So Instagram, LinkedIn, and the Facebook group Get Fit to Win. Yes. Yeah. Cool. Thanks so much for coming on the show. I think that this is going to bring a lot of clarity and also just help people think a little bit more about what they want and learn how to take action, especially if they do a 90 day reset. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. There was a lot in that episode. You might need to listen to it twice. Andrew's a great guy and he's also written some other books. So check out his website and connect with him on the different platforms that we discuss, Instagram, LinkedIn, and his Facebook group for more. Last year, I personally struggled with two of those keys. My business and my mindset were very much a priority, but I let my training and my relationships suffer. And I'm really proud that this year I have been able to reel back in some of that balance and really focus on some of those other aspects of my life. It's always a healthy reminder to hear people talk about it and to just check in with yourself and say, what am I doing right? What am I doing wrong? And who do I want to be? And it actually takes time to do that. Like a lot of times we're busy just going through our day, run, 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 trying to get everything done. And we forget to check in with ourselves. One last thing before you guys take off, I have a free bi-weekly email newsletter where I offer tips covering a lot of the different topics in these podcasts, as well as mountain bike specific tips, and also some of the more recent news and podcasts. So it's free. It's not spammy at all. You're welcome to subscribe and I'd love to see you there. It's sonyalooney.com slash newsletter. Thanks so much, guys. Wishing you all the best success in your training and adventures. And we'll see you back here next week.